Section thirteen of A Book of Scoundrels by Charles Wibley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Shepherd and Cartouche, Part three, A Parallel. If the seventeenth century was the golden age of the high Toby man, it was at the advent of the eighteenth that the burglar and street robber plied their trade with the most distinguished success and it was the good fortune of both Cartouche and Shepherd to be born in the nick of time. Rivals in talent, they were also near contemporaries, and the scourge of Paris may well have been famous in the purlieu of Clare Market before Jack the Slipstring paid the last penalty of his crimes. As each of these great men harboured a similar ambition, so their careers are closely parallel. Born in a humble rank of life, Jack, like Cartouche, was the architect of his own fortune. Jack, like Cartouche, lived to be flattered by noble dames, and to claim the solicitude of his sovereign, and each owed his preeminence rather to natural genius than to a sympathetic training. But for all the Britain's artistry, the Frenchman was in all points save one the superior. Shepherd's brain carried him not beyond the wants of to-day and the extortions of Paul Maggot. Who knows but he might have been a respectable citizen, with never a chance for the display of his peculiar talent, had not hunger and his mistress's greed driven him upon the pad. History records no brilliant robbery of his own planning, and so circumscribed was his imagination that he must needs pick out his own friends and benefactors for depredation. His paltry sense of discipline permitted him to be betrayed even by his brother and pupil and there was no cracksman of his time over whose head he held the rod of terror. Even his hatred of Jonathan Wilde was the result not of policy but of prejudice. Cartouche, on the other hand, was always perfect when at work. The master of himself, he was also the master of his fellows. There was no detail of civil war that he had not made his own, and he still remains, after nearly two centuries, the greatest captain the world has seen. Never did he permit an enterprise to fail by accident. Never was he impelled by hunger or improvidence to fight a battle unprepared. His means were always neatly fitted to their end, as is proved by the truth that, throughout his career, he was arrested but once, and then not by his own inadvertence, but by the treachery of others. Yet from the moment of arrest Jack Shepherd asserted his magnificent superiority. If Cartouche was a sorry bungler at prison-breaking, Shepherd was unmatched in this dangerous art. The sport of the one was to break in, of the other to break out. True, the Briton proved his inferiority by too frequently placing himself under lock and key, but you will forgive his every weakness for the unexampled skill wherewith he extricated himself from the stubbornest dungeon. Cartouche would scarce have given Shepherd a menial's office in his gang. How cordially Shepherd would have despised Cartouche's solitary experiment in escape! To be foiled by a dog and a boxmaker's daughter! Would not that have seemed contemptible to the master-breaker of those unnumbered doors and walls which separated the castle from the freedom of Newgate Roof? Such, then, is the contrast between the heroes. Shepherd claims our admiration for one masterpiece. Cartouche has a sheaf of works which shall carry him triumphantly to the remotest future. 
and when you forget a while professional rivalry and consider the delicacies of leisure you will find the frenchman's greatness still indisputable at all points he was the prettier gentleman shepherd to be sure had a sense of finery but he was so unused to grandeur that vulgarity always spoiled his effects when he hired him from the pawn-shop laden with booty he must e'en cram what he could not wear into his pockets and doubtless his vulgar lack of reticence made detection easier cartouche on the other hand had an unfailing sense of proportion and was never more dressed than became the perfect dandy he was elegant he was polished he was joyous he drank wine while the other soaked himself in beer he despised whatever was common while his rival knew but the coarser flavours of life the one was distinguished by a boisterous humour a swaggering pride in his own prowess the wit of the other might be edged like a knife nor would he ever appeal for a spectacle to the curiosity of the mob both were men of many mistresses but again in his conduct with women cartouche showed an honester talent shepherd was at once the prey and the whipping-block of his two infamous doxies who agreed in deformity of feature as in contempt for their lover cartouche on the other hand chose his cabaret for the wit of its patron and was always happy in the elegance and accomplishment of his companions one point of likeness remains the two heroes resembled each other not only in their profession but in their person though their trade demanded physical strength each was small and slender of build a little slight-limbed lad says the historian of shepherd a thin spare frame sings the poet of cartouche here then neither had the advantage and if in the shades cartouche despises the clumsiness and vulgarity of his rival shepherd may still remember the glory of newgate and twit the frenchman with the barking of the boxmaker's dog but genius is the talent of the dead and the wise who are not partisans will not deny to the one or to the other the possession of the rarer gift end of section 13